2: Today is Thursday, November fourth, two 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Lighthouse Church in Humble, Texas, just outside of Houston. Also streaming on the Black Star Network, the white judge in the case of the three white men accused of killing Amar Arbery admits that the striking of black jaws showed intentional discrimination, but it is moving forward. We'll talk with Lee Merritt, who's an attorney for one of the Aubrey family members, about this trial and what is going on in this case. And we'll talk about the legal precedent that speaks to how you cannot strike jurors based on race. Uh, also uh, on uh, today's show, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. Uh, he is continuing uh, trying to mediate this battle between Howard University students and the administration. Uh, and we hope to have him on today's show to give an update on what's going on. Black women leaders, they continue their protest in the nation's capital with regards to voting rights. Today, they held an event in front of the Supreme Court. We live streamed that event on the Black Star Network and so we look forward to uh, talking with Melanie Campbell, uh, who is the president and CEO of the National Coalition of Black Participation about that particular event. Also, the American Psychological Association is apologizing to African Americans uh, for its role in perpetuating systemic racism. Uh, We'll talk with the organization's president, about that. Also, a black man is on death row in Texas, did not denied a new trial despite evidence that could prove his innocence. And speaking of Texas, the Department of Justice is suing Texas over its recently approved voting law. Plus, uh, we'll talk about, you know, we all get up a crazy heads, my people segment. Y'all, it's a jam-packed show, it's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered from the Black Star Network from my hometown of Houston. Let's go. He's got-
1: Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find, And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling, best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics.
2: Potential discrimination—that is exactly what a white judge in, in uh, Georgia is saying—took place in the picking of jurors in the, Ahmaud, uh, in the trial of the three white men uh, accused of killing Ahmad Arbery. Let me walk through the makeup, folks, uh, of this uh, jury of the selected pool of 65 potential jurors. 48 were qualified. There were 23 white females, 13 white males, six black males, and six black females. The 12 selected included 11 white people. And just one black man. The prosecution requested a reverse Batson challenge, which is an objection to the validity of a peremptory challenge on grounds that the other party used it to exclude a potential juror based on race, ethnicity, or sex. Now, although Judge Timothy Walmsley acknowledged, quote, there appeared to be intentional discrimination in selecting the jurors, he rejected the prosecution's motion.
3: In this particular case, Batson's limitations, I think, are clearly out there. In this particular case, there are these significant overtones of race to begin with. And then we have numerous additional preemptory strikes. We're not just limited to the ones that statutorily sit out there. And then we have extensive questioning of each of the panelists, which start differentiating everybody for different reasons based on answers that are given. Because of that, it becomes very difficult for the court to start working through this problem of are these really genuine reasons that are out there, and it it gets to the point that I think was raised actually in the Batson decision. I wrote it down. It's uh, Justice Marshall in his concurrence. was talking about Batson, and he said specifically the decision today will not end racial the racial discrimination that. PREEMPTORIES INJECT INTO THE JURY SELECTION PROCESS, AND THE REASON HE SAID THAT WAS BECAUSE HIS VIEW OF IT WAS THAT uh, PREEMPTORIES uh, JUST GIVE THE PARTIES THE OPPORTUNITY TO PLACE THE COURT AND THE SYSTEM INTO THIS uh, this BALANCING OF RACE VERSUS LEGITIMATE PURPOSE. Um, AND AGAIN, THIS CASE MAKES IT DIFFICULT BECAUSE RACE is, HAS BEEN INJECTED INTO THIS PROCESS AND WE HAVE A SIGNIFICANT NUMBER OF PREEMPTORIES. ALL THAT'S TO SAY I've worked through each one of these. Um, I've listened to the defense. Again, in the state of Georgia, all the defense needs to do is provide that legitimate, non-discriminatory, clear, reasonably specific, and related reason. Um, I have very uh, adept counsel here, and they've been able to explain to the court why, separate from race, those individuals were, in fact, struck from the panel. It does not change the fact that that initial finding was out there. It doesn't feel like that is how it worked, but it's been explained to the court under the terms of Batson why those particular strikes were made. And the court is not going to place upon uh, the defendants a finding that they are being disingenuous to the court or otherwise are not being truthful with the court when it comes to their reasons for striking these jurors. So because of that and because of, again, the limitations, I think that's in places upon this court's analysis. Uh,
2: Folks, uh, this, of course, is raising all sorts of questions. uh, And with this trial already began, today was a hearing for last minute trial motions as opening arguments are scheduled to begin in the morning, joining us right now, one of the family attorneys for the Arbery family, uh, Lee Merrick from Brunswick, Georgia. Also joining us right now is Amara Arbery's mother. Uh, glad to have her uh, on the show uh, as well, uh, Wanda Cooper Jones. Thank you so very much, uh, folks. Um, this is this is already troubling uh, to 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 have the judge look on up to uh, this notion of intentional discrimination. Uh, Lee, I've been talking to other attorneys who say that Batson is... This is very interesting because Batson is normally invoked by by the defense. It's normally invoked by the defense as opposed to the prosecution. It's rare to see the prosecution raising a Batson challenge.
4: Yeah, and then in this case, the... All right, that the looks court like... Referred, I'm sorry. In this case, the court referred to it as a reverse Batson challenge or a McCullough challenge uh, because, in this case, it is the prosecution saying it's the defense team that are, are striking out the black jurors, uh, but because of the limitations in Batson in terms of, of what we can do about it. As long as they can offer a legitimate reason, which in, in, in a place like Glen County where everyone expressed some sort of opinion about the case, they could just rely on all those factors to to strike these jurors.
2: Uh, Ms. Cooper-Jones, it certainly has to be troubling that this case trial hasn't even started and already racism uh, is really its ugly head.
5: Yes, it, is. it has. and But I'm still, I remain hopeful that we will get the right outcome with these cheers that they selected.
2: So let, let, me, let me ask you this. And just for the folks at home, uh, your, their, uh, their picture is frozen. But we still have their audio. So we have that, please. Um, uh, so, so, Lee, you know, look, this, this is a, a, a story that is driven by race. Race is a part of this story. Uh, and the fact that we're already having to deal with it, uh, at the outset of it, uh, for many people, uh, they say it's already troubling.
4: I, I agree. It's, it's going to be a problem. We're going to have to address the issue of race head on in this case. The prosecutors have had to prepare their case knowing that they're going to be going in front of uh, a jury pool in Glenn County, who was a part of the community that said for 74 days, the men who were now, or are now arrested and on trial, in fact, committed no crime. And, and unfortunately, uh, we we saw quite a few uh, potential jurors who said that, that uh, these men were defending themselves and showed early support, were part of the hunting club, uh, knew the McMichaels, uh, and so... W- that that is one of the obstacles that we're facing in this case. On, I guess the silver lining in all of this is number one, the evidence is overwhelming. The defenses are ridiculous. Uh, in order to apply self-defense appropriately as a defense, they have to prove that Ahmad Arbery was the initial aggressor. There's no way they prove that. In order to prove uh, that this was a citizen's arrest, they have to prove that they were witnessing Ahmad Arbery commit a crime. Ahmad Arbery is on film for the last moments of his life. Uh, he he committed no crime. Uh, that would have justified uh, a citizen's arrest. And so those are the silver linings. And then the safety net that we have in this case is that there are both an ongoing state prosecution from the Attorney General's office and a federal prosecution from the DOJ uh, for these men. So if somehow they avoid accountability in this case, which we don't think should happen, uh, the feds feds will have another bite at the apple.
2: Um, It is... um... I, I unfortunately, I, I talk to uh, a lot of mothers uh, and fathers, uh, Miss uh, Cooper Jones and uh, it's always hard uh, to have to have these conversations when we're talking about uh, the loss of a loved one. Um, what is it that you want the public uh, uh, to do, look out for uh, and, 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 and and frankly stand with you? Uh, in this moment, because this is going to be uh, a, a gut, wrenching thing every single day.
5: Alan, one, just put us in their prayers. Um, wasn't very happy about the jury selection, but I do believe with the evidence that the state has that we will get justice for Ahmad. Just put my, my family and I into your prayers, and we just hope for the best outcome.
2: Uh, that is certainly uh, going to um, be uh, something to watch out for Lee uh, as we uh, as we go forward uh, with, with with this particular trial. Uh, it is going to be um, uh, tough, but uh, hopefully uh, this prosecution is prepared uh, for the onslaught that we're gonna see uh, see coming uh, their way because again they, they already tried uh, to slander Ahmad Ahmad's name prior to uh, this trial starting?
4: No, that's exactly it. And there are motions being heard today uh, where they're going to try again to get in his mental health records, where they're going to try to get in any previous encounters with law enforcement. Uh, The judge has been um, pretty assertive that none of that actually has anything to do with what happened on February 23rd of 2020. that That evidence does not come in. Uh, but they're trying to both scrub racism from this case, they're trying to remove the fact that they were, they had a Confederate license plate, that they used racial slurs at the scene, and that they regularly use racial slurs in plotting this murder on social media and through neighbor apps, and that, that you know, race is, in fact, a key factor in this case.
2: Um, all right, then. certainly glad uh, to have both of you here, Lee Merritt, as well as Wanda Cooper Jones, uh, the mother of Amara Arbery. Uh, thank you so very much, uh, and we'll be following this every single day. Look at my panel right now uh, Reese Colbert, uh, Black Women Views. Glad to have her on the show, Michael M. Hotep. Uh, uh, and also uh, Georgia Fort. Glad to have all three of you here. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, my, my bad. Greg Carr. I had, had the wrong information. There. Greg Carr. Thanks a lot. Glad to see you here. Georgia Fort. Reese Greg uh, in uh, Georgia. Um, Greg, um, I want to start with you because you're uh, law background. Uh, it's very interesting when we cover these cases, how people who don't understand the law uh, begin to realize what happens uh when you learn when you're seeing these trials when you're watching the live streams when you're when you're when you have lots of attention uh to have the judge to have this white judge go yeah this is this was probably intentional discrimination of these jurors but then saying hands were tied it shows you how unequal this criminal justice system is yeah when people start talking about criminal
6: justice reform i just start laughing the system is set up to do what it's doing. The Batson versus Kentucky case, which is the case that um, tried the issue of whether, uh, whether or not race can be dealt with when you're making a jury selection in this section of a jury, has always been weak. And in many ways, uh, Judge Wal- uh, Womsey's hands were tied. However, a great deal of this is up to the discretion of the judge. Now, no judge likes to be overturned and overruled. And had he allowed for the receding of some of the jurors, uh, who were exempted after rigorous questioning, uh, on a Batson challenge, then no doubt uh, the defense would have appealed. And it's called a reverse Batson in this case, as you said, because the prosecution uh, in- entered the the Batson uh, challenge. Normally it's the defense, as you said. But that having been said, his fairly honest um, description of the white racist criminal justice system uh, was quickly followed by the recognition that um, the Batson challenge, when you make a Batson challenge, the burden shifts to the defense to put up a reasonable explanation as to why, uh, you shouldn't, uh, allow for the reseating on race. And when you look at how some of these black jurors were questioned, I mean, you, you exclude somebody from the jury pool because they knew Ahmaud Aubrey? Come on, bruh. <laughs> Let's be serious. But, but see, the question then becomes the reasonableness standard, and so you get into the vagaries of judicial decision-making based on how you construct what a reasonable person is. And, of course, the reasonable standard then just gets you in a world of trouble because there is no such thing as a reasonable person. This is another way where race operates. And finally, I'll say this. <clears throat> uh, this judge has been on the bench for about a decade. He was appointed by uh, Governor Nathan Deal. This isn't really about his motives, but it is about how the system is stacked against Black people, as he said, there are two ways to select jurors. One is the peremptory strike, where you just get rid of people and you don't have to give a reason. That's one way you get rid of a lot of Black people in a pool. The other way is the challenge for cause, and that's where you, you try to get your questions put in a way so that you can create some kind of veneer of uh, reasonableness that will give you the excuse to get rid of Black people in a jury. And notice, and I think, you know, somebody will probably mention this in a minute, uh, the defense complained because they didn't have enough uh, 40 and over non-college-educated white men. They call it the bubble pool. And, you know, you might not need a bubble pool. You might not need a bubble pool because you only got one black person in the whole jury pool, including the alternates. They've set up a jury that's probably well disposed to, if there's any way possible to let these guys off, do so. But But as Lee Merritt said, it may be difficult even under those circumstances.
2: Recy, um, this is going to be uh, one of those cases that a lot of eyeballs are going to be on. Every move is going to be dissected. Uh, And and already people are seeing uh, how uh, troubling uh, it is for black folks to get justice uh, in this criminal justice system.
7: Absolutely. I'm so glad that Dr. Carr broke it down in terms of the implications of the judge's um, ruling in a potential appeals court, because my first instinct was, ain't that about a bitch? He didn't sat up there and said how this is racist, but then he turned around and said, oh, but, you know, racist, schmaces, we're going to go with it anyway. Um, the system is broken for for justice, but it is working as designed. And I think that even, you know, they have these court precedents that they cite but they're toothless when it comes to protecting Black victims, because we have to remember, this is not Ahmad Aubrey, who's not on trial. He is the victim of this modern-day lynching. And yet the burden is on him to prove that he's a victim, and he's being re-victimized over and over and over again. So, uh, it's, it's very disheartening. Um, particularly when you think about, let's just even set aside the evidence of this particular thing. Let's set aside the the predispositions of what people might be inclined to do here, as Dr. Carr pointed out. But look at the atmosphere that we're in, where white folks is rebelling. They got their big win in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin and critical race theory, and education is now the number one priority, education being a euphemism for, uh, let's make sure that racism is not, um, you know, challenged or, or discussed in our systems. And, you know, that's what concerns me. Not that they needed that to be any more racist. They already were doing all this racist shit. But the whole point is that there is it's going to be difficult to get a conviction if you look strictly at the demographics. But the evidence is overwhelming. Will that make the difference? I think that will depend on the judge's instructions, it'll depend on the prosecution, um, and it'll depend on how much of this crap gets put in there about Ahmaud Aubrey that makes these people look like they are the vigilantes and the slave patrols and they were doing a service to the community. I hope that isn't the case, uh, but this is very troubling, very troubling news. The one other point I wanted to mention, though, um, and, again, let me preface this by saying I'm not criticizing Black residents of this town, but I did want to just point out that 50 percent of the people called for jury duty did not actually report. Um, I don't know what percentage of Black people decided not to report or anything, but I just wanted to say, even though there are these racist challenges, even though that the, the odds are stacked against us even being seated for a jury, if you do get the opportunity to be called upon for jury duty service, please answer the call. Um, you can't help what the judge decides. You can't help what the, what the attorneys decide. But you might be able to make the difference between a fair trial by a jury of your peers, of, this, or, or of, of a defendant's peers.
2: Georgia, you covered the uh, George Floyd uh, trial. This is going to be one of those that all eyeballs are going to be on uh, Georgia uh, for the duration of this trial.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And as Dr. Carr and Reese just stated, you know, these criminal justice systems are not really designed for us. And so it is very concerning. Um, I know in that town, I think it's about 26 percent African-American. So that's part of the reason why we didn't see a huge number of uh, black people even being considered for this jury. But Nonetheless, while you know the judge is saying, hey, we're following the rules, at some point, uh, American citizens have to uh, step up to the plate and say here, just because it's legal does not mean that it's right. And so for, for decades, if not centuries, we have had uh, this criminal justice system that Allows all white juries to move forward and oftentimes produce convictions that are not in our favor, and a lot of times even producing uh, wrongful convictions, right? Uh, and so I think that what we're what we've learned um, over the last two or three years is not just this huge need for an overhaul with policing and police accountability in this country, but we're also seeing because there's these high-profile cases that everybody is paying attention to, we're seeing. An examination of the criminal justice process. We're looking at what what things are in place that are contributing to the inequities. And the jury selection process is is among those things. We really need to reform the way in which jury selection happens. We need to examine the laws surrounding the jury selection process. And we need an overhaul because that is such a, a critical component of the criminal justice system. And it is contributing to why we're seeing either no justice produced in cases like, I would say, Philando Castile, right? Uh, or mm-hmm. uh, wrongful convictions. And, and um, so, yeah, I think that uh, we, we are overdue uh, for, for examining those processes and coming up with new ones.
2: All right, folks, uh, got to go to break. We come back uh, more on Roland Martin Unfiltered, uh, talking about a number of things, including a case out of Texas where black man denied an opportunity uh, to have his case. We heard, even though the evidence may show he's innocent. Speaking of Texas, where I am right now uh, in Humble, Texas, here at the Lighthouse Church, uh, the Department of Justice, the Biden Department of Justice is suing Texas, over their Senate Bill 1 their voter suppression bill will give you an update on that as well lots more to talk about on today's show we'll be back in a moment right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network
0: Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going?
5: you doing It's your favorite funny girl,
2: Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown, from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What <laughs> up, Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin unfiltered. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, welcome back. We're at the Lighthouse Church here in uh, Humble, Texas, uh, just outside of Houston. You can call it Houston if you want to, so glad to be here. Uh, we are here, part of McDonald's Gospel Inspirational Tour. Uh, we'll be sharing more of those details uh, with you later. Let's talk about what is happening here in the state of Texas, where today the Biden Department of Justice announced they are suing the state of texas over their controversial voter suppression bill uh the department cites the restrictions will disenfranchise eligible voters and violate federal voting rights laws this comes as efforts continue to pressure lawmakers to do more today in front of the supreme court uh black female leaders uh, they were there uh, making it known that they want action in the united states senate earlier this week of course Uh, You had a vote on the John Lewis Act. It did did not uh, pass because Democrats would not end the filibuster. Joining us right now is Melanie Campbell. Uh, She, of course, uh, is with the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation. Uh, Melanie, always glad to have you back. Uh, Before I go to you, this is what Congresswoman Congresswoman Terry Sewell, who held from the Black Belt in Alabama, which is really the cradle of the voting rights uh, battles of the 1960s, this is what she had to say.
5: We know so much is at stake. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm I moved because I can't uh, imagine John Lewis, a bill with the name of John Lewis on it, that it's about restoring the full protections of the Voting Rights Act, can't get a proper hearing on the floor of the Change. Senate. Change. These same senators who came to my hometown with him year after year to walk across the Ebb and Pettus Bridge, Change they have an opportunity to do something about it yeah. they do to put their vote where their mouth is yeah. oh they love to talk about how we honor john lewis well this is the best way to honor the legacy of john yes. lewis yes. Yeah. is to pass s4 the john robert lewis voting rights advancement out we want it now
2: You know, Mella, there are a whole bunch of Republicans who love going down to Selma every year with John Lewis, taking what I call a voting rights field trip, and then it would come back to Washington, D.C., and then do nothing. What we're seeing is the exact same thing here. Uh, And so for the people who are watching who say, why do y'all keep going down? Why do y'all keep keep, keep having these weekly protests, these direct action? It doesn't make any difference. What do you tell them?
5: Uh, There's no such thing. History is a great teacher. And there's no such thing as as fighting for our rights without continuous street heat, if you will. And so it does make a difference. It's not the only tool, but it's part of the tools that have gotten us over in this country, and that's called peaceful protest. And so we're going to keep showing up. We also, today, Roland, uh, Congresswoman Sewell and Congresswoman Beatty and several others came, and we met with them uh, prior to the protest to to get a better understanding of where things were, um, and also uh, learning what was happening with those uh, Build Back Better bills and things like that. We had uh, we had folks, leaders from uh, Black women and young people. We had a great turnout of young people from the South as well as the 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 the, the Midwest, uh, from from Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, uh, today. Who and, and well is right around here, in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Uh, to come out today with us. It was really focused on those leaders coming to also uh, um, meet and also to share uh, in this continuous battle. Of course, partnered with National Council of Negro Women and thanking you uh, for your support is as, as uh, continuously helping us get the word out and then really encouraging people to stay vigilant. And what we committed to doing we attempting to do that, and that is saying that because the Senate is where it is. The other thing that we, um, when she, when Congresswoman Sewell talked about uh, those Republicans, uh, we just coined the phrase the, the, the shameful forty-nine, because you do have one Republican in Senator Mikowski McCaus- uh, from, McCaus- from uh, uh, Alaska who did vote, but forty-nine Republicans. We know we're pushing, we know we got challenges with, with Senator Manchin and others, but also, we we need to not let those 49, and for them to do what they did yesterday, we coined the phrase for them, the shameful 49. And we need to put pressure on them, uh, those uh, who represent states well, and I, that are not... I'm, gl- I'm,
2: I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought that up because the Black folks in Florida need to be putting pressure on Rubio and Scott. Yeah. The black right. folks in North Carolina should be putting pressure on right. Tillis and Byrd. The black folks in Mississippi, in Alabama, in Tennessee, in Arkansas, in Louisiana, the black folks in Missouri. The bottom line right. is this here, where you have significant con- uh, numbers of African Americans, they need to be demanding, and these organizations in those states should be protesting right. in front of their state offices, because right. guess it's what? Time. Black, these people are still constituents. That's right. And several of them
5: are up for re-election in 2022. And so, so that's so that's kind of where we, we left it after what, after they did that. with John Lewis's name on it? Really? No. And so we we, we see what we're up against, and we're going to have to just keep fighting. And I do believe we have to put more pressure, and, uh, and I agree with you that we have to put pressure and shine the light on it shine a light on what's happening. You know, Mitch McConnell, you know, there's a lot of Black folks, last I checked, in, in Kentucky. You know, and I think it's, it's, it's time to, to also uh, not, not let pressure off the White House or uh, the Democrats uh, on changing the rules or carving out, but also put pressure on those Republicans who are playing games with our voting rights.
2: I want to go up my panel here. Questions from the panel. First off, uh, Risa Colbert.
7: Hi, Melanie. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Um, Thank you, girl, you- for, for all
5: you. I was watching you. Can I stop? You were you were on it. Your analysis <laughs> of Virginia was right on top. Of it.
7: Thank you. Thank you. You know, actually, I want to put a plug in for uh, Congresswoman Terry Sewell because you mentioned the 2022 elections. Alabama has an election down there. Um, you know, this isn't specifically on the topic of voting rights, but um, has there been any kind of consideration beyond uh, protesting in terms of mobilizing, we need to get a black woman in the Senate? We need to, you know, increase our our, our actual power um, behind those halls because with Vice President Kamala Harris out of the Senate, we have nobody representing black women specifically there. So I'm just curious. I'm not saying, I'm not asking you to break any news, but what are your thoughts on, uh, on somebody like Congresswoman Sewell running? You also have uh, Congresswoman Val Demings, who's already declared in Florida.
5: On, on a personal level, since I'm a 501c3 uh, organization, mm-hmm. Um, on a personal level, I think it would be awesome. I think we, we definitely need to, to push for uh, more diversity of Black women in that Senate. We really need that. Um, but also, I, mean, I work really in support uh, Higher Heights for America that does a great job. Uh, we also yeah. all sit on a, a chair of the board of Sisters lead Sisters Vote that's led by uh, Holly Holiday and support those organizations that do that. But we do need to pay, mm-hmm. pay attention. And uh, on a personal mm-hmm. level, I know uh, Florida, the numbers are there. Uh, to, for there to be a, sh- a a shift in power in Florida
2: Thank you uh, Georgia your question Georgia your question for um, uh, Melanie
8: Melanie uh, I echo what Reese said thank you so much for your work um, I am based out of Minneapolis, and, of course, there's been a lot of organizing around police accountability here following the murder of George Floyd. What do you say to the young people who got out and they, they voted uh, but they didn't see the turnout that they wanted. Um, they they didn't see the George Floyd policing act passed on a federal level and now they're discouraged even seeing you know the attack on voting rights. What do you say to the young people to keep them inspired about using their ability to vote?
5: Uh, first thank you thank you for um, uh, all you do in Min- in Minnesota to, to, to make sure that folks know, what's happening um i'll say I'll, I'll flip it because we had a lot of young people who came uh to dc uh to to be a part of this protest uh who they were telling us they're not going to let their voting rights be uh, uh uh taken away and that gave me honestly uh, motivation to keep on fighting because it was we didn't have to convince them to show up Right. And, and and that was what's important. And they've been coming not just to what we've been doing with Black Women and Allies, with NCNW and others, but also showing up uh, for all that whole summer. So I think that young people get the connection to uh, the things that are important to them, uh, and all of us, really, when it comes to the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, critical legislation it was never even voted upon, um, that they connect, they're connecting the dots. And so today, they were really fired up uh, at the at the speak out uh, from the states that I had mentioned, and really uh, encouraging us to keep fighting uh, um, and and supporting their leadership um, as well. And they are no ways tired. And then and yes, frustration is there, disappointment is there, but also understanding that you have to keep fighting. And there's no such thing as winning and then going because there's always unfortunately. I was like I was like, can hey, we just get a, a a a year that we don't have to fight? Well, I have not seen it. I, I would not say to you that I would have expected to have to fight and, and, and do nonviolent civil disobedience in order to fight for our voting rights, but there have been a, several young people who have stepped up and put their bodies on the line in a lot of these protests. Uh, I think Martin Third and his wife and daughter yesterday, uh, they were out there with Cliff and a lot of folks, I think it was yesterday, a couple of days ago. Oh, no, it was yesterday. Yesterday, things are meshing because there's so much that's being done. Uh, to try to make sure that we continue to fight until we win it, because we don't have a choice but to win. Yeah, i not saying it's going to be easy, but we're going to have to keep fighting.
2: All right, Melanie Campbell, is always, appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. Thank you all. Going to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk to Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. about uh, his discussions and mediation of the dispute at Howard University, He's also in Indiana, uh, demanding federal intervention in the case of Jelani Day, the young brother, Illinois State student who was found. Uh, his body was found. Parents, his family still believes foul play was involved. He did not kill himself. We'll discuss that and other issues next, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. On the Black Star Network, broadcasting live from the Lighthouse Church here in Humble, Texas, outside of Houston. Back in a moment.
1: Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure, it's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry, I used to hate parallel parking. Me, Me too. Hey.
0: Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you, all of
1: you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. <laughs> really? Who has time for that? Let's go I'm myself. i She ordered herself a ladder with Prime one-day delivery. Myself. And she was out of there. I
5: want some girls looking back at it and a good girl in my text break. Now
1: her hairdressing empire is no killing it. Is and the prince. Well, who cares? Prime changed everything.
2: Hey, I'm Dionne Cole from
1: Blackest. Hey everybody, this is
4: your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered.
2: Well, folks, uh, he turned 80 years old uh, a couple of weeks ago, but Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. Uh, continues to be involved in the fight. Uh, this week, uh, he was at Howard University uh, with the students there as a part of their Blackburn, Blackburn takeover, raising issues uh, with housing conditions and other issues in the university. Also, meeting with the administration and trying to mediate this dispute, He is in the Indiana today with the Jelani day family they are demanding federal intervention uh, into that particular case uh, where the young man uh, body was found they say committed suicide family disagrees River Jackson joins us right now uh, on the phone River Jackson always glad to have you here first and foremost uh, what is the latest with Howard University are we going to see a resolution of this dispute between students and the administration
9: oh but William it must it must not instantly into military service. Negotiating how in 1989, when Puffy, Puffy and Rock, Rock over there, they had the, uh, on top of the buildings with, with uh, guns. Uh, it, same as true in 2018. Uh, the military came in uh, fearing some kind of takeover, just over overreaction. Over I told the president, don't make the mistake of calling the military in again. Uh, trying to take the Blackburn building back. Uh, I, I, when I was engaged in the negotiation. I was trying to deal with the, the plus side of the both, I'm trying to reconcile. For example, the president is a very qualified man. Medical doctor, not only is a medical doctor, he, he's, he still works actively in Howard hospital as, as a physician. The reason why one and all other presidents combined is a blind spot on the protest side, but that's the point I tried to get him to deal with. First of all, he assumed the students were, were, it was more outsiders than inside. There was no outsiders in there. I got there Saturday. There was one lady who was uh, creating a little havoc who did not belong there. Students so was a this and she just to put the out. I happen to have known her in movement circles and so I was able to get her to leave without the confrontation with students. But they're all students. and The brilliant thing they're doing, Roland, is that they're not just occupying the building. They're also going to class. They they go the down and take the shower, and they go, they go to class and come back, and they, they rotate on shifts. So the, the last minute, of the ac- academic break, they're doing the academic work. I mean, they're really working hard academically in in protest. That's a beautiful thing, you know. Now I asked him uh, about the issue of expulsion. So he said they didn't think they'd be expelled. He said, "I said they fear that." So he agreed that they would not be expelled. Two about housing. He said the houseball fit. Students said it will not. I said, well, if that's happened since you started, you go to five, six dormitories with me, and them, and if there's any mess up, please up. If not, you agree with that. So the other thing he agreed to was putting the students back on the board of directors. Uh, the students must operate the highest levels of government, you know. Now, the, the fourth thing I think was very critical that the agreement has to be signed, memorandum of understanding. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. Now, that's, that's the point where it involves mutual trust. Students are not going to be expelled. going to get dumb until it's clean, and we won't have the grades to happen with. That's pretty much their, their deal. Now, I would hope uh, that we would get back on. I think he gives the case back to lawyers. Lawyers go far afield from what we agreed to on that day. We back over the top of the students that night, and I, Slipped and fell because uh, Parkinson, you know, takes you. So I fell, but it was not the battle of fall. It was just that they wanted to be sure. And so I was out overnight. I'm back working. I went back to meet the students yesterday before coming to trying to go down to Bloomsdale Illinois, tonight because we're gonna oh, we're gonna blow Kieba all the day wide open.
2: Um, I want to I ask you about that again. You are returning to Illinois uh, again. We had the mother of Jelani Day on a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and you were you were saying that there should be federal intervention in this case to find out what happened to that Illinois state student who uh, who was found in a body of water there. Uh, it was it was determined that he that it was a suicide. The family disagrees.
9: That's a big, big lie. Uh, we went, we took a thousand suicide and people last Monday, I guess it was, Tuesday. And we went to where the truck went over in behind the library. I don't how the truck got to the woods stepped in over the library. Uh we found out that uh the, the clothes were three miles three miles from that. About a mile and a half from that on the other side of the river. His body was sort of decomposed, so decomposed that they could only identify him by his by his uh, uh, blood, blood type. It was a horrendous um, Emmett type murder. But the more we press it, the more we get a reaction. For example, the small-town justice is always operating against us, you know. And now we got the, 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 the police chief asking the FBI to intervene. But we're putting pressure on Peru, Illinois. So we, tomorrow we're going have a, media, uh, a meeting. not at the school where you attended, Illinois State University. We're going to have a march tomorrow at noontime from the police headquarters in Bloomington to the uh, to the uh, headquarters at at two. So, uh we got some leads. You know, we the two ladies he had lunch with, two white girls he is friendly with, uh, they immediately got lawyers. There's an he had a relationship with the uh, in that they had a uh, YouTube, that uh, the professor was upset about his wife having a crush on him. So he said, as it gets kind of funky and we look up like that, the leads going to lead to somewhere. We don't know where. We want a full federal investigation. It's a hate crime. It's, not, it's a hate crime, Plan planned hate crime. And we want those who did it to face justice.
2: Um, before I go to uh, Greg Carr and my panel with questions, um, Rep- Reverend, I got to ask you this here. You, you turned 80s a couple of weeks ago. Um, You've been um, you been battling Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease. You fell down this week. Why do you keep doing this? Um, you could look. You're 80. You could easily. You've you, you had a, an, a, a stunning, and amazing, a life and career. Why not? Why not relax? Why? Why stay on the go? Why? Why still uh, show up in Indiana and come to Howard and still travel and still protest? You were there for the March for Democracy in Austin. Why do you keep doing it? don't
9: no, let me live for a wheelchair, for a, a, a reclining chair. I live to work. I, work. I work to live. I find joy in my work. I fulfillment my work. And so I was trying to get more vaccines for Africa still on the flashlight that they have because there's no vaccine. Uh, it's, it's must be done. I'm also stepping in gaps with so no, nobody is. One of the leaders on, on, on the Howard case, uh, on the July the Day case. I'm stepping in, in gaps, and, and yet I communicate with the Shop and other groups. Uh, for, I, I've been to the anniversary of Rainbow Bush, it will be the uh, first Saturday in, in December. Reverend Shop is my special guest that Saturday. We keep building coalitions. Uh let me say this to you. Moses was 80 when he started preaching. He was 85 and he said, give me this mountain. He didn't ask no little thing like give me a reclining chair. Was, I I still want the mountain, the Voting Rights Act, uh passed, federal protected. I said, I want, I want the mountain healthcare I want the mountain of decent wages for those who work and and then health care for children. So I, I'm still asking for the mountain and God keeps giving me strength. I the mountain that, I, that I'm dealing with. I'm excited about that. Let me say something about about Virginia last night. Uh, and this has been nobody's announcement but my own. I won Virginia in 84 and 88, you know? For some black and one statewide. When 84, Doug Wallace came to the governor 85. When 88, he became governor 89. So we, we know we know this state pretty good. I asked Sarah McAuliffe and his people, three or four weeks left by Shannon Davis, to, uh, they never called back. I think, I'm not sure what they thought. What I do know is that the black boat was not excited by that campaign. They mis I think, what, what the states were in it. Now, let me say something else. When you tear down the Robin Lee statue, Robin mean, Lee is a, is, a, is a religious symbol of the Confederacy. Those who tear the statue down must also work to offset the voters Offended by this coming down, you know what I'm saying? Some rolling. So, so if you're going to turn the statue mm-hmm. down, for example, if they focus their on, on students in the college, the two hundred thousand plus in, in Virginia, those students who have an interest in the statue coming down, they were not targeted. The way the the vote now, you, if you live in Virginia, at school, and you from New York, where you live, they were not really targeted. Uh, you take the other thing is that the 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 Taiwan areas suffered that we not really really targeted. So I'm, I'm convinced that the, the Confederacy is, is, is underestimated in the South. But you're around Texas Confederacy territory. That's why you had more unregistered for the vaccine blacks in the South, because their governments were saying it was alright they didn't have to. And we were dying in great numbers. that's, that's the, in the South, we still fighting the Civil War.
2: Greg Carr, uh, your question for Reverend Jesse Jackson, Sr.
6: Thank, thank you, Roland, and thank you, Reverend Jackson. I'm glad you're doing well, brother. Um, and uh, I hate that you had to engage in shell diplomacy between the A building and the student center on the same campus, that that, that should tell us something. And thank you for securing amnesty for those young people. Could you help uh, everyone understand the, the difference between a mediator and a representative. I'm asking that because the young people have made it pretty clear that they are not going to end their protest until they have an in-person town hall meeting, until full voting rights are are reestablished for the students, faculty, and alumni, affiliate trustees. And uh, so, I know you didn't go over there as their representative, you're trying to resolve. Could you help us understand, uh, the difference between mediating between two sides and representing one side or the other. And thank you again for everything you've done, brother. Believe me, as a member of that faculty, thank you for staying I went, with me. I, I, I wanted to the meet with the students. I met the students on Saturday. I don't know
9: what the demands were, they couldn't, they couldn't do all this with the president. It's not meeting them all together. So I took their demands to him. One concern they had was would they be expelled from schools? So uh, that, that was implied. He said it wouldn't. That was, that was one of their demands. Secondly, the idea of getting board and other students back on the board. He agrees to that. Third, the issue of housing. Uh, he, he said, on the 30-room had mold, he said 12 dormitories were infected. So he said he would go, meet and a group of students, those dormitories, see if that would happen. So we, we, we were dealing with the student's agenda with him. I think that he said some of his uh, misconceptions hurting him. For example, he, he thought that. See, they're violent. said. I said, these students are not violent. You see, they're, they're bringing them no garbage cans, and bring them no desks. I can buy a building, so they're, they're non-violent. Balance the would be if they were, as Panthers have done, been some fires on campuses. They, they're not. Uh, academically, they design some help, they go into the class. They're smart enough to be rotating their ships, follow what I'm saying? And that last point is this idea of, uh, uh, they there having the strength. Whole they, they're going to hold out. We encourage them to hold out until the president agrees to these deals with the memorandum of understanding, that they can all live with the memorandum of understanding. He must see the value into that. And I said to them, don't pick at this house. That's a mistake. Pick at the president's house, Biden's house. Pick at the Congress. And so the money is $45 billion in the budget. It's down to $3 billion now. So I think the president would respond if he would join the students. He he's one of the few guys in America that could ask the Black Hawk, of 65 members strong, or the five Latinos, to go to the Congress and speak to the Congress about the needs of black and brown children. He could make such, such a gigantic speech. He'd be top educated yes. in the world if yes. he had a, a vision, but that vision leaves us He must see beyond. So you can't be an eagle
6: around with the rabbit's
2: and fly high.
6: Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Jackson. Yes, sir
2: um reverend jackson uh it's always a pleasure you always you always know that uh, anytime uh you want to speak to the issues uh you can come on here the last question i have for you uh before uh, we let you go and that is a lot of people are saying democrats had uh, a big loss on tuesday night fact of the matter is you had people who won black mayors who won in many different places as well uh jim carville Uh, James Carville has come out and said that uh, wokeism is killing Democrats all across the country. What do you say the Democratic Party should, what should they be focused on when it comes to these 2022 midterm elections after what took place uh, on Tuesday in Virginia? What should they be doing?
9: For for example, the absence of labor in West Virginia. I mean, you go to West Virginia with organized labor and the mine workers uh, and, and city colleges Put 100,000 people in, in in Charleston, West Virginia, and, and turn that whole state around. I mean, we we have we have the, 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 the organized labor could put 150,000 people in, but and, 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 and that, that, that fight didn't take place. It was our organized labor on the sideline looking the fight with jobs and justice and income and, 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 and better wages? So that, that's a piece of it, it seems to me. I'm concerned that 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 they they reach out to blacks was the cameo period by President uh, uh, Obama and by uh, Ms. Harris, President Harris. But that is not getting down to the blacks in Suffolk and Norfolk and the entire water area. So if I had gone out, I'd, I'd have gone straight to the, where the votes came from. They elected uh, me twice in the state, elected uh, Doug Waller twice in the state. Uh, for some reason, other, Doug Wilder was not a part of the campaign. That's, that suggests a uh, communications problem right there. So, you're not going to be able to circumvent leadership and make progress on black people. I'm going to say again, but Roland. I, I appreciate it, we are, sir. Roland. Roland? Yeah. We're we on yeah. the, the power of, of the Confederacy. The Confederacy is still, all the only time you lost the war, you still supplied your flag. You still statues erected in the, in the U.S. Capitol. I mean, the, the Confederacy is, is more real than we think it is, and it's their religion. And whenever you tackle that thing, you better have your your all trying to votes in place. just uh, on Sam on Trump. Trump is a Confederate hero. He, he created both of his guy just by laying low to the last week.
2: All right, Reverend, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Love you, yes, sir. Love you as well. Thanks a lot, Reverend Jackson. Folks, got to go to break. We come back. Uh, the American Psychological Psych- first of all, I, I'm about to see the uh, I'm about to blow that out there. So I'm going to talk next with the president and CEO of the American Psychological Association. They are they are apologizing to people of color for their role in systemic racism. We'll hear from her as to why this apology now. Next, I'm Roland Martin, filter from the Black Sunday Network.
0: is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves.
2: Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson.
0: What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin
2: Unfiltered. Right, folks, uh, welcome back to the Lighthouse Church here uh, in Humboldt, Texas. Certainly glad uh, to have uh, you here uh, as we are broadcasting here. Alright folks, uh, the American Psychological Association uh, announced this week uh, an apology to people of color for the role that they played when it comes to systemic racism. We thought that was interesting, so we reached out. So, joining us right now is Jennifer Kelly. She is the president uh, of the American Psychological Association. They're based there in Atlanta. Glad to have you with us, uh, Dr. Kelly. So, uh, why now? Yeah. How did you How, how did you arrive uh, at this moment to issue this apology? Why?
10: Yes, and well, I think the apology has been long overdue. Uh, first of all, thank you for having uh, me here. So um, as we started looking at systemic racism in this country, we knew that as psychologists we could make a difference in society and improving people's lives. But I felt and we knew that in order for us to really make the the difference that we need to make in society is that we had to start looking inward and clean our own house first. And we had to address the systemic racism and some of the things that have happened uh, to the people of color in this country um in in all the uh different um uh, in all the different areas and so we knew that in order to make the difference externally we had to first start looking internally and make and start cleaning our house
2: and so and when i when um, i talk about people... what did this yes go, oh, on. I'm go sorry, ahead i'm sorry go ahead I was gonna
10: say when uh, we're looking at, when we, we're talking about the indigenous um, population, African-Americans, uh, we're talking about the Asian-Americans, the Latinx and the, uh, the Amina population. So what are some of the things that have occurred that we've done harm? And so to make changes externally, I think that we had to really look internally
2: first and make changes. What ex- what exactly did the organization do? So what role did they play when we talk about the systemic racism?
10: Oh, gosh. Uh, if you want to start thinking about historical things, I, we can go back to 1895 when we started looking at uh, some of the earliest examples of scientific racism. And it just went on throughout that time. Um, uh, the, at that time, the author uh, argued that racism uh, was like a primitive reflex and um, that, uh, that reaction time in people of color was a primitive reflex because they responded faster. And, and so that's one example. We can go to uh, them talking about the eugenics um, and uh, the movement with that. And the other thing that we have to start looking at is uh, how uh, psychology made it uh, more difficult for people of color to advance in the profession in terms of uh, admission into graduate programs as, as well as licensure and how we can advance in the field. So it, can, it goes back from 1895 and we just did a chronology. What we did was we commissioned the Cummings Center, which is uh, they, um, are responsible for the history of psychology, to do a chronology for us, and that was part of the resolution. Is to the apology. Is to uh, we chronicled all. Uh, we it didn't capture everything, but it certainly did capture enough of one of the harms that uh, psychologists caused people of color in this
2: country. Questions from the panel. I'll start with Reese.
7: Thank you for being here and for um, explaining this apology. My question is, um, is there any kind of examination for the impact of systemic racism through the psychology profession Um, and criminal justice? A lot of times, you know, it plays a role in determining um, uh, who stands trial or as, as expert witnesses. Is there any plans to examine that aspect of how it's contributed to systemic racism?
10: I think that one of the things that we uh, know is that it's been occurring over time, and so we have uh, been looking at, uh, like, publications, what are some of the challenges that we have with that. Uh, We're looking at uh, what we can do in terms of what happens with people of color in terms of getting the grant, the funding for the grants, as opposed to our white uh, colleagues. So we know that these things have occurred uh, over time and, and, the, um, and we have all the organizational units of the association really looking at some of these things. And when I, I, when I say organizational units, I mean, education, um, look at uh, area of science and research and uh, in practice as well.
2: All right, Uh, next question. Uh, Georgia Fort, your question uh, for Dr. Kelly.
8: Yeah, I would just say historically speaking, how diverse has the APA been? And um, do you think that that has contributed to the systemic racism of the outcomes it's produced?
10: Well, I think that if you start, I can first go back to looking at uh, the population of people who are getting into the profession, and we know that there are not enough psychologists uh, that are being trained to meet the needs uh, of the the people of color in the population, and part of that is getting into the graduate programs and then uh, moving through that. Uh, And in terms of the American Psychological Association, um, we have been working really hard in really improving the diversity of the profession. But uh, I think that the more people of color that we get into the uh, field, I do think that, and and, and in APA, we're going to see more changes occurring.
2: All right, Greg Carr, your question.
6: Yes, yeah, so thank you, Roland, and thank you, uh, Dr. Kelly. It's very, very good to see you leading that organization. Uh, as that old, uh, the standard book in psychology, Robert Guthrie wrote, there was a time in APA that even the rat was white. <laughs> so I mean, it was good That's to see. True. you that organization. <laughs> But my question is, um, my question is around the relationship between APA and the Association of Black Psychologists. Um, a lot of my teachers, Wade Nobles and Asa Hilliard there in, in Atlanta, of course, Jules Harrell, Ed Nichols, Linda Meyer, so many, congealed around the, the Association of Black Psychologists in 1968, started in 1968, and we know Robert Williams just made transition. As you look forward with APA and given this renewed, well, this, this new, really, push in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, do you see something on the horizon in partnering with what, for many of us, in the academy, uh, the organization we look to as kind of speaking for black psychologists before we look anywhere else, and that would be the Association of Black Psychologists, and maybe even the other non-white organizations uh, of of psychologists as well.
10: Yes, Uh, and I I will start this by uh, letting you know that I, I'm a member of the Association of Black Psychologists. I have been a member since uh, my graduate uh, school uh, years, when I uh, was trained by uh, Dr. Naeem Akbar. and so, um, so I'm I, I know that the importance of having this relationship with our. Uh, the Association of Black uh, of Psychologists, as well as the other uh, psychologists of uh, and other color uh, psychologists of color, and the other associations. One of the things that we have done is that we have reached out. APA has done. We've reached out to all the ethnic psychological associations to meet, and we want to be able to reset and to be able to work together in a more collaborative manner because we know that uh, we can do more if we can work together as opposed to us working in silos. And so I'm very hopeful that we will have that renewed our relationship with the Association of Black Psychologists. And it was formed in 1968 through, in large part for some of the challenges that uh, they saw that happened within APA. And and we operate under the assumption and the knowledge that uh, they are a sovereign organization But I do think that we can work together to make a difference uh, in society. So we're hoping that we can do a reset with them.
2: Yes, thank you. All right, Dr. Jennifer Kelly, president of the American Psychological Association. We appreciate you joining us here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back, uh, our Black and Missing for the day. We'll also uh, talk about uh, another case out of Texas and one in North Carolina that you might want to know about. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered here on the Black Star Network, broadcasting live from the Lighthouse Church here in Humble, Texas, just outside of Houston. Back in a moment.
1: Oh, that spin class was brutal. Oh, well, You can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure, it's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry, I used to hate parallel parking. Me Me too. Hey.
0: Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you, all of you.
1: Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. (laughs) But really? Who has time for that? Let's go. I'm myself. I'm she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Prime one-day delivery, and she was out of there.
5: some girls looking back at it and a good in my Now,
1: her hairdressing empire is no killing it. Is and the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything.
4: Hi, I'm Vivian Green. Hey
1: everybody, this is your man, Fred Hammond,
4: and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. <laughs>
2: Lil Frazier has been missing since August 21st. A 17-year-old is 6 feet tall, 140 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. He has a mole under his right eye. Cahill was last seen wearing a black shirt, dark gray jeans, and dark colored sneakers. If you have any information regarding his whereabouts, please call the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department at 202-576-6768. Let's go to Wisconsin where a juror has been dismissed from the Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial for making a joke about the Kenosha police shooting of Jacob Blake. Kenosha, Kenosha County Circuit Judge Bruce Schroeder addressed a request from prosecutors to excuse a juror who had made a joke about the Blake shooting to a courtroom deputy while being escorted to his car earlier in the week. The joke, according to prosecutors, was why did the Kenosha police shoot Jacob Blake seven times because they ran out of bullets. Blake, a black man, was shot in the back seven times by a white police officer outside an apartment complex on August 23rd, 2020, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Rittenhouse is facing multiple charges, including homicide. He faces up to life in prison if convicted. Uh, This this case right here uh, is very strange to me, uh, Greg, because uh, already you have the actions of this judge where he has said uh, that uh, they cannot refer to the individuals who were killed as victims, but uh, they can refer to them uh, as looters and other names as well. Also, this judge, talk about being thin-skinned. This is the same judge who actually used time in the courtroom to criticize media people criticizing him. He even took aim at CNN legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin. I'm sorry, you're the judge in this case and you take time to critique media folk who are critiquing you? Why is this man still on this trial?
6: Because this is America. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it that way, Roland, but let's be clear about this, and I've been listening to and talking with some of my friends and colleagues, including uh, some practicing lawyers, uh, about this case. Let's all brace ourselves. Because unlike the Ahmed, Ahmed Aubrey case, which is, you know, as, as as Lee said, the facts are there. This man has a very strong possibility of being acquitted, this boy in self-defense. When you look at the facts of the case and you look at the law in Wisconsin, this little boy right here could walk. He doesn't even need the help of that white nationalist judge on the bench or the lynching jury that they have impaneled. So, Rather than to get our blood pressure up, we have to understand that we're going to have to break this system in order to build something different. It is set up to do what it's going to do, and this man is very comfortable in his impunity, in flying his white nationalist flag. He's on the bench because this is America, brother, until we do something about it. But let's just brace ourselves. I mean, this is one we need to watch very closely, but I'm just just a word of warning. This isn't as open and shut as you might think it's going to be
2: um the it, it's just Georgia watching this case has been real weird um to the point Greg made where you saw uh, all of these uh folks coming to his defense uh, these white nationalists like uh, former actor Ricky schroeder contributing raising two million dollars uh for his defense you also uh have had again how, uh, how how this judge is ruling I mean I mean you know w- w- what we're seeing here is a, a stark contrast to how he is being treated. In many ways, this, to me, feels like Dylan Roof being taken to Burger King to get something to eat before, after he killed nine Black people at Mother Emanuel.
8: That's right. I mean, we continuously see these examples that are just outright insulting to the Black community uh, and the miscarriages of of justice that mm-hmm. continuously happen. And so, you know, I just hope that there is a new generation of uh, black people who are inspired to run for seats uh like you know a judgeship uh, because we we need representation in every single aspect of the courtroom in order to really start to to see the change that we need to come forward. Um, it is weird uh to to hear a judge um, make that kind of determination but even from a media standpoint, uh, Roland when you you think about the word victim I mean, when you use the word victim, it automatically evokes empathy and compassion for a person. Uh, But not just in the courtroom are we seeing, you know, these white nationalists not allow Black people to be referred to as as victims. But oftentimes, when you look at media coverage, there are cases like Philando Castile or George Floyd, uh, where we are seeing the media choose to not use that kind of language now in some instances you can argue that legally you can't use certain words uh like maybe murdered right we couldn't say that derek chauvin murdered george floyd until that was proven in court for legal reasons but when you look up the definition of victim I mean, a victim could be a victim of an accident. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that is uh, f- determined in the court of law. And so um, there's so much nuance in language. And I think that it, it's why uh, the work you're doing, Roland, with the Black Star Network is so important. And it's why we have to continuously control our own narratives.
2: Uh Reesey.
7: You know, I want to remind people that the two men that Kyle Rittenhouse killed are white men. So this Mm -hmm. is white-on-white crime. But it's not their whiteness Mm -hmm. that makes them a victim. It is the fact that they were standing with uh, people protesting for Black Lives Matter, and that's what this uh, defense attorney is trying to make this about. He's trying to make it an indictment on Black Lives Matter, and trying to say, "Hey, if you're a white man and you cross state lines with the with a gun and shoot people, you can do it as long as you're protecting whiteness, even if your victims are white men." It also helps in Kyle Rittenhouse's case that one of the victims, uh, Rosenbaum, is a, a pretty, you know, not well-to-do. I mean, he was a homeless a white guy, just got out of, just, just tar- discharged from a mental hospital for a suicide attempt. And so he doesn't make for the, the most sympathetic victim, because, you know, there's a lot of classism that happens amongst white people, and they, a lot of white people figure that the um, uh, least of these is disposable to them. Um, and so I think that we're dealing with a lot of a lot of aspects here where these are, they're in words for the sake of this trial, even though they're not actually uh, black people. So it's interesting to see how they get treated. They're getting the, these victims are getting the black victim treatment in this case. So yes, will Kyle Rittenhouse get off most likely. Um, there's a troll in your chat and Facebook rolling that is uh, spreading the propaganda already. Oh, he's exonerated based on the footage and things like that. And so this is a cause now for the white nationalists and I think that we're going to see that play out with the the, the verdict that ultimately comes out but I could be wrong
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well this is uh, again one of the one of the craziest things that we're seeing uh, uh, with this trial speaking of crazy let's talk about what was happening here in Texas a black man who has been on Texas's death row since 1998. After being convicted by an all-white jury, is not going to get a new trial. A district judge ruled that Rodney Reed, who maintains he is innocent of murdering a young white grocery store clerk, does not deserve a new trial. During this summer's two-week hearing, Judge J.D. Langley heard evidence presented by the Innocence Project. Reed's team showed the murder weapon was never tested for DNA evidence and proved forensic experts admitted to errors in their testimony during his first trial. They also introduced new exculpatory witnesses as evidence pointing to the victim's fiance Jimmy Fennell, who was white and a former local police officer, as the perpetrator. The judge said that was not enough to grant a new trial, saying Reed quote has not proven by clear and convincing evidence that no reasonable juror would have convicted him of capital murder, even if the new evidence was presented. Well, Greg, um, I'm sorry. You make the conclusion that no juror will make a decision. Well, how about we allow the juror to hear it to make a decision?
6: Roland, this is so important, what you you just read right there. There it is again. Reasonableness. Any legal scholar, any lawyer will tell you, particularly a trial lawyer dealing with a jury or dealing with a judge, is that reasonableness standard? That's where whiteness hides. People Mm talk about CRT, CRT. let's let's deal with a basic tenet of critical race theory. Critical race theory, one of the basic tenets is that the power of whiteness is often in its ability to normalize itself, to hide behind language for which there is no common understanding. In the law, reasonableness is one of the most weaponized words in interpretation. A reasonable person? Would would that mean a, a reasonable Black woman? A reasonable black man? A reasonable Asian man? What do you mean? Oh, well, I mean a reasonable white man. But since I didn't say a race, we're going to imply whiteness. And in Texas, where the law is as interspersed with whiteness as anywhere in the country, when this judge says that... uh, And and listen to the language. Look at the the legal straitjacket. You haven't proven by clear and convincing evidence, meaning overwhelming show of evidence for us, that no reasonable juror, not some reasonable one reasonable juror, no reasonable juror, would convict you of capital murder. Well, you've made the standard almost impossible. And the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, a real white nationalist, a hunter, Is saying, well, you're not going to change us with with, with public opinion. This is why, again, tying it to the Rittenhouse case, we have to be very careful because, as Reese said, white victims. But when you look at the definition of self-defense in Wisconsin and when you look at the footage, Kyle Rittenhouse's defense is going to be, they charged me. I feared for my life. And that reasonableness standard seeping through the minds of those white jurors are very likely to side with him. That reasonableness piece you read, brother, that is the way that they punish Black people in this country. There is no mm-hmm. common definition of reasonableness, but the law tries to pretend as if there is.
2: Mm. Uh, absolutely. Got to go to a break. When we come back, I want to bounce this story off of y'all uh, where a cop in North Carolina planted fake drugs on a Black man. Cop no longer has a job. Now, how about the cop should be prosecuted? You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network back in a moment.
0: saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson, like really loves.
2: Hi, I'm LD Barge. Hey, yo, peace world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Coming back. All right, folks, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go to North Carolina where Raleigh police officer, uh, Raleigh police detective, is out of a job. Why? Because he planted fake heroin on a black man. Omar Abdullah was terminated on October 28th, weeks after a group of 15 black men received a $2 million settlement the city as part of a federal civil rights lawsuit. The lawsuit accused Abdullah of framing multiple men by falsely accusing them of selling heroin, resulting in unlawful arrest between December 2019 and May 2020. Abdullah was an 11 year veteran of the police force, a member of the department's drug unit, and the 2013 Raleigh police officer, uh, police employee of the year. He was placed on leave from Raleigh Police Department last year, the Wake County DA Lauren Freeman has declined to prosecute them. I, are you serious, Recy? See, this is the stuff that's crazy. I'm sorry, if you are a cop and you plant fake heroin on people resulting in them being charged, that, that should be against the law. Not
7: just charged, but imprisoned. And they were, in some cases, in prison for months, even after the so-called drugs tested, and they were actually sugar. So... There, is no, there was no rush to say, oh, we screwed up. We need to get these men out of jail. They spent a combined 2.5 years in jail, and that may not seem like a lot between 15 people, but all 15 were innocent. And the, what makes it even more full of shit from the DA is that the informant that was part of this conspiracy to frame and entrap these men um, for these fake charges has been charged with multiple counts. So if there's evidence to charge the informant, then there's by 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 definition evidence to charge the police officer. This man had been on the force since 2009, yet this settlement covers a specific group of men from 2019 to 2020, over a six-month period. How many other people have been victim to this officer and his completely just criminal in unethical ways. There needs to be a deep investigation into him, into the entire police department. I don't know if there's a pattern practices investigation that has already happened in, um, in this case, but that is something that needs to be done immediately, as well as charges being brought here. But we know that, again, this is another example of the system working as designed. It's not about guilt or innocence. It's about punishment. And it's about getting Black men and women behind bars, whether they did the crime or not
2: mm-hmm I, I it angers me georgia when we see these stories and nothing happens to these cops it's like oh hey, no big deal so they are out of a job no i mean what th- that is that is just simply wrong when, when they're lying on police reports planning fake fake drugs and the da goes yeah no nah, i'm not gonna charge him
8: Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a common theme. It is. It absolutely is. And I I feel like that's been the common theme of the show today, is all of these examples of the, the way that the criminal justice system doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for us when we're innocent. It doesn't work for us when we're dead, you know, and so not only should that officer be prosecuted and be in jail for the crime that he's committed, but we should also now start looking at that prosecutor and uh, maybe that prosecutor needs to lose their job as well because they're not upholding the law. It reminds me of the uh, the prosecutor uh, ja- Jackie Johnson in uh, the Ahmad Aubrey case where uh, she impeded on justice and uh, prolonged the arrest. Of her former employee, one of the men who's charged with killing uh, Ahmad Aubrey, and now there's even uh, further evidence indicted. that potentially she impeded in uh, the case of Kelsey Rayner, who was an inmate who died in jail. And come to find out, one of the wardens in the jail is also a former employee of Jackie Johnson. And so, I mean, tonight, already we have seen instances where a judge has misused their power, instances where officers have misused their power, and even the prosecutors Um, and so, I I mean, when, when they're in the streets protesting, uh, when protesters are out there and they say the whole damn system is guilty, this is what they mean In, in every aspect of this system. Uh, you know, it just feels like it's all designed to, to work against us.
2: And the Blue Lives Matter people are real quiet, Greg.
6: Well, they have an ally it seems, in, in, in Nancy Lauren Freeman, uh, who's in her second term as DA there in, in Wake County. And I, I agree with you, Georgia. I mean, we have to start looking at these electoral, elected officials. And, and Reese says this all the time, and you do as well. And we heard again, you know, earlier from Melanie. We have to be involved in the political process. That's an elected office. The, I saw one of her competitors, one of her uh, ostensible challengers for the... And she's up for re-election in 2023. Uh, saying that in Wake County, there's a one-page policy for the prosecutor's office as it relates to when to turn over evidence, exculpatory evidence. In nearby Mecklenburg County, that's where Charlotte is, a lot more Black people in that county, the the policy is 14 pages. A lot of this has to do with organizing, with getting in the street, getting into these elected positions, pushing people. But Lauren Freeman doesn't want to piss off the police. And so she's not gonna stick her neck out. Fortunately though, these brothers have filed a federal lawsuit. And just like Kristen Clark and them have gone after the state of Texas on voting rights, uh, this is why the federal elections matter again. People who say voting doesn't matter, understand that if these men and their families are going to get more relief, it's gonna come from the federal level. And that means that all of us, whether we love each candidate or not, need to either organize and run for office or get out there and put people in office that will prevent this type of foolishness It's just when the state has proven it can't handle its business on its own.
2: All right, folks, I gotta pay a few more bills. First of all, let me thank uh, Amazon, Buick, and Nissan for being partners with us here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, please patronize those who support Black-owned media. When we come back, this week after Virginia, Reese uh, got a little spicy. Uh, she was not particularly uh, happy uh, with the consistent request for money from the Democrats. So uh, we're just going to share that with y'all and talk about that on the flip side. Next on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh,
1: that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice.
0: Hair hug, Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going?
2: Hi, I'm
7: Eric
1: Nolan. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packard. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chailey Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs>
2: All right, folks, so I am uh, here at a lighthouse church uh, in Humble, Texas, outside of Houston, and uh, being on my best behavior. So, the video that I'm about to show, uh, thank goodness we're not playing it here in church, because uh, I think there were at least 11 F bombs dropped by Reese. Um, uh, Reese was not, um, you know, you get lots of emails when you're on these campaign lists. And everybody asking for money. And um, let's just say uh, Reese invoked fan Lou Hamill. She was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Roll it.
7: Look, I know that since Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia, there's going to be tons of strategizing, tons of suggestions about what Democrats can do. I just have one request right now. Just one. No, it's not messaging. My request is stop fucking begging, please. I'm begging you to stop begging us. At least for a week, a month. Just give us a damn break. People are motherfucking tired. People trying to put gas in the car, put groceries, everything high. Shit, I went to McDonald's, man. medium fries, is $2.99. And the fries done got smaller and the price done gotten higher. Motherfuckers is tired. Quit asking us for money. Quit asking us for $5, $5. Oh, I have to meet my meet my mid-month. Fundraising den I have to be my midweek fundraising I Help us raise hundred dollars by midnight. Leave us the fuck alone. We ain't all got it, and we ain't trying to give it to your ass if we do have it. Every time I turn around, so Democrats spend a little bit less time begging and pleading for money all the motherfucker time. And if you must reach out to us, tell us about what the fuck you're doing. Y'all sit up there complaining about how the media doesn't tell people and nobody knows what's in the plan because of the media, the media, the media. But meanwhile, I get 100 motherfucking emails from Democrats all day begging and bleeding for some damn money. Spend some of them emails telling us what the fuck is going on so that when it's next time to vote, people know, well, okay, I, the Democrats did this for me, they did that for me, this, that, and the other. Y'all raise a billion dollars, how many hundreds of millions of dollars, and you just raise money to tell us to give you more money. Get it the fuck together. Because people are tired of this goddamn 365-day perpetual campaign cycle from all around the country, unsolicited shit. That's part of your problem. I don't know. Ain't nobody else going to want to say it because people get paid from campaign financing. But I don't get paid from that shit. So I'm going to tell you, just leave us the fuck alone. Give us a break. Quit asking about it. mid-month, midday, midnight, mid-everything campaign deadlines. And just let people be great. Just a little bit. Y'all give money, then you turn around and beg for it right the fuck back. Leave us alone. Just if for no other time for the rest of the week. Please.
2: (laughs) So I I think I counted at least eight F-bombs and four MF-bombs. And and Greg, even your brother, uh, (laughs) the pastor... Uh, had to thank <laughs> Reese for uh, that did, particular video.
7: He did, <laughs> Reverend I, Carr.
2: I, I, my brother appreciates a good curse word, brother. As,
6: uh, look, I wasn't counting. I wasn't. I was too busy enjoying the. Inflection on MF. That was a unique voicing there. Reese. It was just quite. You you didn't go to the four motherfucker, but it was like motherfucker. It was somewhere right in between, and it was just so <laughs> lyrical. I feel like at some point you got to go to the studio sis, and put uh, Nas's Ether underneath. That's what the young people. You gonna need an underneath track. <laughs> that you you could put a fire track out. And it, you man, <laughs> my God, no. That was that was Chef's kiss, and I know I know why Jeff appreciated it because he likes he he appreciates a good curse word.
2: <laughs> well, and, and and look, and, and reason I'm with you because I mean I swear the number of emails that come across. I mean, if I see, it, it always tripped me out uh, how many times I would see Nancy Pelosi name in my subject line, and I got to the point I'm like, well, when's she gonna come on my show? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oop. Oop. Right. Oop. <laughs> Oop. And then all these off-brand candidates, I'm like, I don't know, y'all, how y'all get my email? <laughs> Hello? I mean, it, it this was is, Georgia, I don't know about, uh, I'm sorry, Reese. go ahead, go ahead.
7: Oh, no, you know, and it's so funny because, you know, I got so many people sharing screenshots like, here's Jamie Harrison in my inbox. Somebody said they wanted you to uh, give a donation for Joe Biden's birthday card. Like, leave us the hell alone. Like, I feel like people are burnt out. Like, we have not stopped campaigning from the 2018 midterms when Stacey Abrams was running and Andrew Gillum were running. Like, the campaigning never stops. The that Now you're getting text messages. I remember when I was uh, text banking for... Um, in 2018, people said I'm not gonna vote if I get one more damn text message, and I was like, "Damn, is that serious?" But now, three years later, I'm like, "Leave people alone, give us a break." So I'm just trying to say, like, you know, we're getting bombarded. I think there's a there's people are starting to tune out, and we need to give people a break so that next year, when people are getting emails and text messages and phone calls, they they won't be so oversaturated, so that they just don't completely check out. It's getting ridiculous. I will say there was $14 billion, billion dollars spent the 2020 election cycle. Y'all don't need my funky-ass little $5. Y'all gonna be all right if you don't get my $5 today and you miss your midday, midweek, mid-month deadline. Give us a break. Jamie, Harrison, if you're listening, give us a break. Put some memes in our inbox instead of begging for some money. That might get you a little bit more goodwill. Mm. Georgia? Well, I mean,
8: I do know a good producer, Recy, who could help produce that track. <laughs> and I think uh, <laughs> we should call it Campaign Dollars with a Z, uh, just saying, um, and maybe, maybe I could drop a hot 16, but yes. uh, outside of that, you know, you, you raise a, a good point. And I think it's the authenticity in which you said that, you know, people can resonate with, cause we're all getting those emails. Uh, but how many of us are getting reinvestments into our community? How many black owned businesses are these, uh, politicians uh, lobbying for and, and advocating for? And one thing that I discovered, I don't know how many um, city councilors have this, but in Minnesota, a lot of the city councilors have a discretionary fund and there's no formal way to apply for it. Uh, it's something that's a, a, there's a lot of secrecy around how you get it and who they allocate it to, but we need to start applying some pressure to these elected officials who do have things like discretionary funds, or they're able to, um, have influence on where certain pots of funding go to. And we need to start to hold their feet to the fire that those funds are um, reallocated to the black community I- in order for us to be able to truly um, you know make some some headway with the uh, in- injustices that we're seeing economically the disparities in the black community I think it's time for us to start sending them some emails about donating five dollars and ten dollars <laughs> to our businesses so That we can meet our goal tonight by midnight or midweek or, or uh-huh. midday, right? Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, sister, and thank you so much for calling them out, man. It, it's needed.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I'm telling you, I'm with you on that one, so uh, I, I appreciate that, but I did get a kick out of uh, uh yes, Revan Carr. Uh, showing his appreciation uh for your um for your word play, uh in that two minute and sixteen second video. All right y'all uh that is it uh for us. I'll be back uh tomorrow right here on Roller Mark Unfiltered here at the Lighthouse Church. Uh, as we are uh, particip- help- participating with McDonald's for their uh, inspirational gospel tour, uh, and so we got just shooting some great interviews. Cannot wait to share them with you. Uh, some amazing interviews thus thus far uh, with the Walls Group, James Fortune, Kurt Carr. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, we also have uh, of course tomorrow. I'll be chatting with Yolanda Adams, uh, chatting with uh, Donald Lawrence, and so we got some great great stuff, folks. Uh, Brian Courtney Wilson. So some amazing interviews. Can't wait to share those with you. If y'all want to support us, what we do, please join our Bring the Funk Fan Club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show. Uh, of course, you can reach us: uh, Cash App, Dallasite R Martin Unfiltered. Uh, PayPal is paypalme forward r Martin Unfiltered. Uh, cash App is Dallasite R M Unfiltered. Of course, uh, Venmo is R M Unfiltered. And Zell is rolling at rollinsmartin.com, rolling at rollinmartinunfiltered.com. Don't forget to download the Black Star Network app. Of course we're available on all platforms and so apple tv android tv uh android phone apple phone uh xbox samsung uh apple, amazon fire as well you name it and we are there all right folks that's it i will see you tomorrow right here on am martin unfiltered on the black star network thanks a bunch greg reesey and georgia Holla! Martin.
6: Time to be smart.
2: Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh no, punches!
6: Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind. To quote Marcus Garvey again, the
7: video looks phenomenal. So I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black media. He makes
6: sure that our
0: stories are told.
6: See this difference between. Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of
4: the Black Star Network. I
2: am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A Black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Hey Blake,
0: I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're
2: having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig?
0: a woo a hand clap, or a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW for void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
3: We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway, the great American.